Well, I haven't yet decided if this is going to be one message or a series of messages. As you know, we finished looking at the idea close to Jesus. We were in the upper room. And I'm thinking of beginning a series in the book of Colossians, but I'm not ready to do that yet. And right now, this concept that you see on your handout and in the scriptures, Psalm 103, this has always stood out to me, this statement from the Psalms, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. In fact, would you read uh, verses 1 and 2 out loud together with me and remember what we're doing when we read it? Because what we're doing is we are actually, we have the opportunity to obey this passage as we read it. So let's do it together. Psalm 103, 1 and 2 begin. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I came across this this week in my reading early in the week that there were several psalms that begin or contain this statement, bless the Lord. And I want to speak to you at least this morning and perhaps next week as well. Uh, But today, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. This psalm is a call to expressive gratitude. Now, how many of you know you can be thankful in your heart, but you should also be thankful with your mouth and with your lips? This psalm calls us to just that. It's a call to expressive gratitude. And I have discovered that most people, now I don't have scientific research on this, this is anecdotal and this is my perception of uh, 38 years, but my perception has been this, that most people is, Travis, you could help, we've got some folks coming in, that would be, that would be great, make sure we've got a spot open. Um, this, this, I've discovered in my life that most people are not happy with at least some part of their life. Have you found that to be true? And actually, I would ask you this, have you you encountered that experience yourself sometimes? Where you say, you know what? Sometimes in my life, I am not. Sometimes in my life, I'm the one that's not happy with something. Just think for a minute. Take Take a pencil or a pen, And I want to ask you this question. Could you write down, could you write down on your paper right now, just private, what is it this past week that you've been the most dissatisfied with? Now, for some of us, maybe you're like, boy, I don't know. I can't really, I'd have to think long and hard about something I'm dissatisfied with. But I think sometimes in my life, I could write that down really quickly. Because I'm often discontent with the circumstances of my life. And isn't it interesting that as we compare our lives to other people, we always tend to think, oh, if I could only be in that situation or... And isn't it interesting, if you would look at me, you would probably say, Ethan, what in the world have you got to be discontented about? 
You have a, you have a, a, a family and a job and a home. There seem to be so many good things in your life. I've found it to be true that most people, at least at different times in their life, have something that they are not happy with. And sadly, very few of us are experiencing the true joy and contentment that God offers. We've either got a problem with our circumstances, a problem with our finances, a problem with somebody in our life not doing things exactly the way we think they should do it, just something, well, if this was better, if that was better. Well, what this does and what we come to when we come to the bless the Lord Psalms, when we come to them, it is an opportunity to refocus our hearts away from our discontentments and to focus on the one, as the doxology says, from whom all blessings flow. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, James says, and comes down from the Father of lights. Bless the Lord, O my soul, is a call to expressive gratitude. It's a call to expressive, expressive thankfulness, expressive worship. This quote really challenged me two weeks ago from my, my friend, Dr. Kerry Schmidt, is a mentor of mine, and he posted this on social media, and it just, it really convicted me. And he said this, he said, will you choose to be thoroughly content with what Jesus is doing in your life right now? That's the real beginning of deep, indestructible joy and gladness. And that's really this morning my whole aim in going through this passage. My whole aim in going through this is for us to say, are we experiencing, are we content with what God is doing in our lives now? Bless the Lord. Now, in the first verse, let's, let's just break apart this verse really quickly here for introduction. This is pretty simple. The action that we are, now you help me out with a little bit of response here. Are you ready? So the action that we are being called to is to what? We're being called to bless the Lord. How many of you have heard that before and you've thought, what on earth does it mean to bless the Lord? How many of you have struggled with that word sometimes? Okay, three of us are honest enough to say it, okay? The rest of you, maybe, maybe you're just your linguistic masters and you've got it down. But to me, it's like, bless the Lord. Now, how many of you have struggled with what it means to ask God for a blessing? We pretty much got that one down, I think. Like, I know what it means. When I say, God, bless me. Please bless me. Well, what are we looking for? We're looking for good things from his hand. We're looking for him to act on our behalf. We're looking for his grace. I've never had a hard time understanding what it means to be blessed. But this idea of blessing, what does it mean? Well, I've seen it defined different ways, but I'm going to put it simply this way. When you and I receive the blessing of the Lord, we experience his goodness. How many of you have experienced the goodness of God in your life? Right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. There's nothing wrong. By the way, if you would like to express your gratitude to him today by saying amen or raising a hand or praise the Lord, that would perfectly be perfectly acceptable because that's what we're talking about today. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. So you've experienced and I've experienced the blessings of God in my life, right? Now, blessing the Lord is when we take that 
and we reflect it back to him. It is when we, not, we are not receiving the blessing, we are giving the blessing. So if receiving the blessing is experiencing his goodness, giving blessing to the Lord is expressing his goodness. It's telling him about how great he is and how wonderful he is. Now, that would be wholly inappropriate for you. It would be wholly inappropriate in that way for you to bless me this morning. If I asked you, would you all just bless me this morning? Why would that be completely inappropriate? <laughs> That's pretty good. I will tell the jokes in the sermon. Thank you. That was really good. I didn't sneeze. Okay. What are you doing, huh? So, back to the point I was trying to make. Um, if I were to ask you to bless me, you know it would be inappropriate. Because I am not worthy of the blessing. I'm not worthy of it. But when we call to bless the Lord, you cannot brag on God enough. You can never run out of adjectives to describe his glory and his wonder. He is blessed forevermore. So we are called to bless the Lord. So the action is to bless the Lord. But did you notice something else here? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Who is the audience of this command? It's the psalmist writing, bless the Lord, O my soul. Is he speaking to a group of people? Who is the audience? Say it. So we said the command or the action is to bless the Lord. The audience is who? Oh, my soul. Who is he speaking to? Himself. How many of you talk to yourselves? A lot of you. Weird, okay? A lot of us. I, I, have, I get it from my dad. It's, it's embarrassing sometimes because how many of you talk to yourself almost out loud? You're owning it this morning. Like, like, and so I'm more like, uh, I, I'm more like, you, you know what I'm saying? It, it's like coming out. How many of you, now you're just getting weirder and weirder now, so if you're willing to own this, how many of you both talk to yourself quietly, then audibly, how many of you make gestures and facial expressions when you talk to yourself? Yeah. That would be me as well. Okay? This, what you're reading here, is a sacred self-talk. The psalmist understands, as we understand this, that sometimes we need a prompting to praise God. And so he's going through his life. And if you know the circumstances of David, um, in fact, a lot of people believe that Psalm 102 and Psalm 103 are coupled together. And if you have it in your Bible, we don't put it on the screen, and that's fine. But if you just look back at Psalm 102, if you have a description of the psalm at the top of the heading, my Bible says this, a prayer, of, and maybe you have it, a prayer of the afflicted. A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. In Psalm 102, David is overwhelmed and he pours out a complaint to the Lord. 
And many Bible scholars believe you put these two together because that at the end of David's uh, pouring out of his heart in sorrow and difficulty, we come to Psalm 103 where he has to remind himself. He has to speak to his soul and say, hey, soul, hey, you, you need to open yourself up. You need to praise the Lord. You need to bless the Lord. And there are times in my life where I've got to learn the holy habit of sacred self-talk. Now, I can use the scriptures, which is a wonderful thing. And if I get up in the morning and I'm particularly grumpy, if you get up in the morning and you're particular, well, you probably doesn't happen to you. But if I were to do that, then those are moments where we need to say from the scriptures, wait a minute, bless the Lord, oh my soul. But then there's an attitude as well. The action is to what? Bless the Lord. The audience is? Oh my soul. Look at the attitude. And all that is within me. All that is within me. Bless his holy name. What he's doing here is the, he's expressing worship from his innermost being. He says, I want all that is within me to bless his holy name. Do you realize that you can bless with your mouth, but your heart can be far, far away from God? In fact, Jesus would say that about a very religious group of people. He would say, these people, and he's quoting from the prophets, he said, these people, they honor me with their lips or their mouths, but their heart is far from me. Can I share with you? You could be, you, and I, I'm not going to assume this about anyone, but you could have been the loudest singer in the room this morning. It does not guarantee that you are worshiping from your heart. Because true worship comes, David says here, bring it up from within me, from my innermost being, all that is within me. I thought about this a little bit. What is within me? My mind my heart, my soul. You see, if you think of all that is within you, you think about your mind. You see, we need to worship and bless God with the mind. You say, what do you mean with the mind? I mean, it begins with knowledge. It begins with thinking. And in fact, we as a, having a Bible-based faith, we don't believe that we should just come in and worship emotionally. We do believe that we should worship emotionally, but not only emotionally. Our emotions should be stirred by the knowledge that our mind understands about who God is. We come and we understand with our mind. We worship with our mind. That's why we sing about doctrinal truths. We sing about who God is and what he has done. And as we come to a sermon, did you realize that the sermon itself is an act of worship? that I am called to be worshiping God as I present the sermon. And that you and, and, and myself also, when I sit under the sound of preaching, am called to respond with worship. And it begins in my mind. Oh, my soul, all that is within me. In my thinking, my mind is toward God. But then my mind, what I know should affect my heart, and I should feel something. I don't base my worship on that feeling, but... The, if I truly know who God is, it's going to affect my innermost passions as well. All that is within me. I want neither a worship that is 
simply intellectual or simply emotional. I want my entire being to worship God. And we're not speaking, and we're actually not even, I'm using the illustration of a worship gathering, but that's not primarily what this is talking about. This is David's personal life and his personal experience. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, I'll do this quickly, but I want you to see, and you'll, I encourage you to take time, maybe later on or maybe at another opportunity, to work through this psalm slowly. I want to give you basically a survey of this psalm here with the time that we have left. I'll take about five minutes on each point, and then we'll conclude. But I encourage you to make some notes down for further reflection, for further thought. You'll notice this, in verses 2 through 5, we are called, as we bless the Lord, in verses 2 through 5, we are called to contemplate the benefits of knowing God. Contemplate the benefits of knowing God. Verse number, verse number 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So he repeats it. The psalm, it one of the methods of emphasis that you'll read in the Psalms is repetition. Repetition. So first in verse 1, we're called to bless the Lord. And now verse 2, he says it again. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And now look at what he calls us to do. And forget not. Don't forget all his, what's the word? Benefits. Now that's, a, that's an interesting word. Forget not all his benefits. You see, there are certain benefits. There are certain rewards, that word could also be translated rewards, there are certain rewards that come from knowing God. It's a, listen, despite, a, there's no promise that when you become a Christian, there's no promise that everything will get better in your life automatically. There's no promise that you won't go through hard times and difficulties, but there are benefits that come from knowing God. And he says this, and I notice, you'll notice this is repeated in three uh, stanzas or three verses here. Verse number two, forget not how many of his benefits? All his benefits. Verse number three, who forgiveth how many of your iniquities? And in the end of verse number three, he heals how many of your diseases? All. You see this repeated over and over. We're reminded here to not forget all of the benefits of God. Sometimes... Sometimes we, are, we do an insufficient accounting of all that God has done in our lives. We can come up with one or two, but do you remember the old hymn? When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, feeling all is lost, count your many blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. God has done so many things. And look at, what, look at what he says here. He says in verse number three, as we think about all the good things that come from knowing God, when you know God, he has forgiven all your iniquities. And I love the word all right there. I'm reminded of Romans 23, verse 23. The Bible says, how many of us have sinned? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we're taught here in Psalm 103 that there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. 
no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you say, well, surely God could forgive this or, you know, God could forgive a lesser thing, but you don't know how bad of a thing that I have done. You don't know how bad of a mess I've made of my life. We're reminded here that God's desire is to forgive all of our iniquities. He forgives them all. He says here that not only does he offer us forgiveness, but he heals all our diseases. Now, I think the first time we read that statement, the first thing we do is we get a little bit critical. Maybe not you, but we think, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know, I know people that didn't get healed. Right? How many of you read that and that's what you think? Well, it says here he heals all of our diseases. Well, I think, again, we're given too short of a, or too narrow of a perspective on this. Could I present it to you this way? All of the diseases, all of the sicknesses you have ever been healed of are a direct result of God's gift of healing in your life. All of them. Every time. And I take this so for granted. How many of you men have ever suffered with the dreaded and terrible affliction called the man cold? Who, is it? Who knows what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? You're, you're, all the women know what I'm talking about. You're like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But how often do we say, do we realize that, the, 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 think about the fact that every time you've been healed of everything, small, every, every, every small cut on your hand that has been healed comes from the hand of the healer. Every sniffle you've ever overcome, every serious diagnosis, all is a gift of the, from the healer. Boy, we would do better to say, Lord, I'll just thank you that I feel better today. Maybe you don't. Well, we know we, we can put a whole scriptural theology of healing together. That's not the point of the message this morning. But there is a perfect and ultimate healing as well. We sang about it in that last song that we sang together this morning. But that future day with no pain. All our diseases. Then he says this in verse number four. He redeems our life from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Hey, just remember this morning this, that don't forget the benefits it would do us well to take time day in and day out to contemplate and think. Remember, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, with my mind to think about and remember. Remember the benefits that come from knowing God. And then to realize that there are so many in this world, there are so many in this world that the Bible describes as being without hope. They don't know our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no hope without Christ. Christians of all people, we ought to be the most grateful, non-grumbling people. And I will have to admit that, that, that one of the sins that I struggle with is the sin of complaining. And we don't think of it as a sin. Unless you're listening to the complainer, then you know it's a sin, right? You're like, yeah, that's a big sin. But when we do it, 
We don't feel in the moment as if we're sinning. Oh, this just thing. I just don't like the way this thing is. I don't like the situation. I don't like the circumstance. I don't like the way they're doing this. I don't like this. Boy, what have I done in that moment? I've forgotten all his benefits. Will we be fully content with what God is doing in our lives right now? Second thing here, not only contemplate the benefits of knowing God, but if you're following along, we're on the back of the handout. The second point, we contemplate the benefits of knowing God, and then secondly, we learn to appreciate the mercy and kindness of God. Look at verse number six. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. You see, in this world, there is always only imperfect justice. There are crimes that go unpunished. There are offenses that go underpunished. But we know that our holy God, our just and perfect God, is keeping a record. Verse number six, he's keeping a record of perfect righteousness and perfect justice. Every wrong, every injustice will be made right in the end because he is a just God. And that applies to every injustice that is being committed against you. But my friend, remember also, you and I have committed injustices ourselves. And the truth is this, every injustice will be paid for. The question is this, will you pay for your injustices? Or will you accept the gift that Jesus paid for your injustices? You see, on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for every wrong that anyone else committed, but he took the punishment for the wrongs I have committed. And I have a choice in this life. I can either receive God's mercy and let Jesus take the justice, or I can go off into eternity and take that just, receive that justice on myself. But God is a perfect judge. He will not let any wrong go unpunished. And so that is both an encouragement to you to know that if anyone has sinned against you, that will be made right. But it's also a warning to you to find refuge in Christ. Because without Christ, you and I would pay for our injustices. Perfect justice for the oppressed. And then in verse number 7, as we think about the mercy and kindness, one of the most merciful things God has done is He's revealed His truth to us. Look at verse number 7. He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. Like, what is that talking about? Where if you understand when this is being written, David is alive, he's referring to the Scriptures. He's referring to Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. He's saying, God, you revealed your way to us. That's what David had for his scriptures. He had a passage, uh, he had a portion of scriptures about this big. And he talked often about how much he loved the law of God, how much he delighted in the law of God. And he says, God, you have been so merciful to us. You've given us your word. You made known your ways unto us. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Just how many of you, this isn't to embarrass anybody who didn't, so don't take it the wrong way. But if you have a, a copy of the Bible with you this morning, whether it's digital or physical, just if you're holding up some form of the word of God today, would you just hold that up? You've got it. Yeah. 
do we realize that there are still places in the world where people do not even have a portion of the Word of God? How many of you have seen videos? I have. I've seen videos of people in other cultures receiving their very first copy of the Bible. How many of you have ever seen something like that? Wow. You watch those videos and you'll see, and many of these people had become Christians already. Somebody went and shared portions of the scripture with them, but they didn't have a whole Bible. They might not have even had a whole New Testament. Do we realize that the Bible, this teaches us who God is? This teaches us who we are? These are the answers for the biggest questions that have haunted humanity for the centuries, preserved to us in the scriptures. We don't, we don't love the word of God enough. The Bible, the word of God, he made known his ways to Moses. This is an act of mercy and kindness. We are the ones that have rebelled against God. We are the ones that have disobeyed him. How merciful for him to deliver to us a book where how we could be made right with him. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. And look at this, verse number eight. The Lord, remember in verse six we saw his justice, but now in verse eight, the Lord is what? And mercy and grace. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. I'll tell you what stood out to me in this verse is that it says the Lord is is merciful. The Lord is gracious. Mercy and grace are not just something that God says, well, you know what? I guess I'll take a little bit of this and I will give it to you. Mercy and grace are essential parts of God's very nature. He is a holy God. He is a God who is, yes, just and perfect and holy, but it is in his nature to be merciful. It is in his nature to be gracious. Do we realize how unhuman that is? It is not in our nature to be gracious. It is not in our nature to be merciful. You say, well, I don't know about that. I, I kind of feel like a pretty gracious and pretty merciful person. Well, let me ask you this. If someone were to come and rob your house, what would your reaction be? Take all your valuables, take all of the things that you value. Would your, and I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that justice shouldn't be done, but would you respond saying, well, let's show mercy? I've been astounded, and many of you have seen this as well, cases where someone has been murdered and they go to trial there's a conviction. And then I've seen family members of the guilty go at that very moment of conviction, go and show mercy and compassion. I, I, I should have, I didn't have this ready for this. What was the one that was just last year? Do you remember, Aaron, where the, the woman gave like a hug? 
there was a, I, I didn't prepare this for the message, so I can't remember it, but there was a, a, a shooting and an injustice was done. Someone was killed, but the, the, the victim's family member had become a Christian, and they said that they went right up to them, they hugged them, they forgave them, and they said, I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Now, why is that so astounding to us? Because it's unnatural to us. What is actually the more common reaction is you find at public, at, um, at criminal executions, family members often are present to watch the execution. It is something completely foreign to our natural human instinct to show mercy. It's easy to show mercy to people that we think are kind of our equal. You know, if, if, um, if Ken borrows my tool, because he has to borrow my tools all the time. It's actually the opposite. And he breaks it, right? I'm going to be like, you know what? Of course I'm going to show mercy. Why? Because I'm no better than him. I could just as soon do the same thing to him. So it's kind of like transactional. Like, yeah, I would expect you to show mercy. When we have this sense of we feel equal with people, we have no problem with mercy. But if someone has gravely offended us, that is the point. With our, the way humans relate to God, we are nowhere near equal to him. We have completely offended him. We have completely sinned against him. Yet it is in his nature to show us mercy and compassion. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. And his mercy is so great. It's so great. Verse 9, he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He, look at verse number 10. Read it out loud with me, the beginning. Ready? He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. This is the attitude of someone who understands how much we need mercy. You see, I have not, if I got what I deserve, friends, if you and I had gotten what we deserved, we would be in hell today. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned to our, to our own way. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. For the wages of sin is death. If we had gotten what we deserved, it would be hell. But praise the Lord. Because of Jesus, he has not dealt with us after our sins. He's not rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven, verse 11, is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. This is interesting, verse 11. Would you say that the heaven is high above the earth? Yes, I would say that. Well, in the same regard, so is God's mercy. So great is his mercy. Verse 12, would you say that the east is far from the west? Yes. Well, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. The greatest thing we can bless God for is our forgiveness. We need to appreciate the mercy and kindness of God. Listen, if you were forgiven, if you have received mercy... What more do you need out of life? Really? But, we, but we, we so cheapen the gift of mercy that we've received. We're like, well, yes, I've been, well, sure. I've been saved from hell 
I've been given eternal life. I've been forgiven from all my sins, but I kind of wish my house was a little nicer. Sure, the greatest, the, the, the greatest enemy of all, sin, death, and hell, has been defeated in my life, but, you know, I really, you know, I hear a young man, a young man, I really wish I had a girlfriend, or I really wish I had a boyfriend. I'm just talking about the things we complain about in our lives, the things that we are discontented about. The fact is, the most epic gift we could ever have experienced in all the universe has come to us simply for believing on the name of Jesus Christ. We don't need anything else. That sounds good in a sermon, right? That sounds good. Well, you've been saved. You don't need anything else. But I would be a hypocrite to stand here and say that I always act that way. Because the fact is, I get my focus more on the cheap trinkets that I don't have. I guess the best illustration I could think of would, how many of you have ever spent a lot of money to take your kids on a great vacation? Great. I mean, you've been planning this forever. And there's some insignificant food item that they just start complaining about right off the bat. Or, well... I know that we got to do this, but, you know, you know, I really wish we could have, you know, done this too. And in that moment, as a parent, you're just like, Lord, help me. <laughs> you're just like, Ugh! right? Because it's epic ingratitude. But are we as Christians much different than spoiled children sometimes? That's why David says, hey, soul, hey, soul, wake up from your spiritual sleep. It's time to praise the Lord. Wake up, get those groggy eyes alert and bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Verse 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He didn't just save us, but he cares about us. Why? Verse 14, because he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Well, that transitions us nicely into the last point. And that is this. While we contemplate the benefits, we appreciate his mercy. Now, the psalmist brings us to the future. And in the future, we anticipate his eternal greatness. We have within, within our hearts, this is, I'm seeing college students graduate right now, and I remember, I, was just, I just always think back to my college graduation. And I, was, I, I anticipated my graduation, but I was really excited because in my life, that meant I was, that next step had been fulfilled before I got married. Because I was getting married that year. And so this time of year always reminds me of that. And graduated in May, got married, got married in June. And I remember the anticipation for the wedding. The anticipation for marriage. And Deborah and I dated for about two years. 
and I, we just could not wait to get married. We're going to celebrate 17 years on June 24th. And I still, I just, I remember how exciting it was, how much anticipation there was uh, leading up to it. And there are just some things in life that you, the, the anticipation, the, the anticipation itself, I remember with fondness. Of course, the fulfillment was much greater than the anticipation, but there's something about that moment where it's coming, it's coming, and you're counting down the days, and it's getting closer and closer and closer. That's what is happening right here in this text. David is looking around at his circumstances. Hey, soul, bless the Lord already. Come on. Everything, no, not just you heart, you mind too, all of you, everything that's within you, bless the Lord. And he's remembering what God has done and who God is. And now he's looking to the future and he thinks about his own limitations. And he says, my life is short. Verse number 15, as for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth and he looks bright and he's in full bloom. But eventually the seasons change. And in verse number 16, for the wind passeth over it. And it is gone. And the place thereof shall none know it no more. Or shall know it no more. Whatever it says. <laughs> Do you ever feel like your life is insignificant? We all have moments like that, don't we? That's what he's saying here. My life doesn't matter. I have no meaning. I have no purpose. And it's almost like we're reading this in the Bible while well, the wind passes over and it's gone. You're like, well, that's not encouraging me. That's validating what I just thought about my life. But this is what the scriptures do. They don't give us an empty feel-good platitude. They acknowledge our limitation, but then they anchor us to a greater hope and a greater purpose. So he says, yeah, from a human perspective, my life, in humanity, it's going to come up, it's going to end, and most people are never going to know that I ever existed. Except he has an eternal relationship with the only person who truly matters, and that's his creator. Because, verse 14 Despite my limitations, verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 17. Sorry, I gave you a false, uh, false alert there. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that what? Okay, so these are the believers. These are the ones who know God. Now, wait a minute here. There's something that doesn't make sense in this verse. First of all, what, what are the limitations of this mercy? Or what is the time span of this mercy? From everlasting to everlasting. Now, we understand that if we know Christ, we have everlasting life. But there's another issue here. It doesn't say that God's mercy is on us from birth to everlasting. It says God's mercy is on us from everlasting. But what's the problem? Who wasn't here? Thank you. We weren't here. We weren't born. We didn't exist. The point is this. 
You, you talk about finding significance in our insignificance, that God's mercy was upon us personally before we even existed. His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And then I love this. There's a generational blessing. And his righteousness unto children's children. That God's blessing is both eternal, but it's also passed down in this life. That is, if I make a decision to walk with the Lord and lead my children in that way, the blessing that I've received of the Lord can be then, now they have to make a personal choice, of course, but you understand, they, they follow in that blessing. Verse 18, to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. Verse 19, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Now we get a glimpse of heaven. Are you ready? In verse 20, bless the Lord who? Angels. Angels, bless the Lord that excel. You angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts. So we've gone from the earth, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now we are seeing a view of the anticipation that we have for heaven. And in heaven, he says, can you imagine the innumerable number of angels? And it's like as David is almost like the worship leader there. And he's like, hey, angels, you start blessing the Lord. You mighty host, you start blessing the Lord. And we're getting a picture of that day when we all worship. It's described in the book of Revelation. There is an anticipation that if you know Christ, if you know God, that you will stand before him for all of eternity, the recipient of his blessing, and then you will express that blessing to him with the angels. Bless the Lord. He says, bless the Lord, ye, you angels. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, you ministers that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. And then he comes back right here. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. The message of the Bible is not about the greatness of you or me. It's about the greatness of God and how he's given us his great love and we can be recipients of it and we can reflect it back to him. That's something that'll bring contentment, peace, and joy to your life. So let me ask you this. First of all, has there been a time in your life where you've begun that relationship with God? Has there been a time in your life when you have personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, you need to start there. You need to admit to God that you are a sinner and that you need His mercy, and you need to ask Him to forgive you. That is becoming a true Christian. You're not a Christian because you come to church. You're not a Christian because you read a Bible or because you've been baptized. We become Christians when we confess our sin to God and we believe on Jesus as our Savior. So if you're not sure that has ever happened, I encourage you to make sure today. Make sure today. And I'll lead you in a simple prayer in just a minute where you can make that certain that you've received Christ as your Savior.
And then Christians, how are we doing with blessing the Lord? Has discontentment creeped up in your life? Refix your gaze on Him. And maybe just in this closing hymn in a few minutes, maybe you'll just sing with a new heart. Maybe you let go of that area. You can, maybe you need to confess ungratefulness and unthankfulness to Him this morning. Whatever it is in our closing moments, let's spend that time with the Lord. So if you would right now, please, everyone in the room, please bow your heads with me. Please close your eyes. This is a private time. So I would just ask that nobody move around and nobody look around. It's just a, a time of reflection. And I want to ask again, is there anybody here that would say, Pastor Ethan, I am not sure that I have ever truly received Christ as my Savior. I'm just not sure. But I would like to make sure today. If you're not sure, but today you would like to make sure, I would encourage you to do that. You can know that if you die, you go to heaven. But it only comes through Jesus. It only comes by admitting that you're a sinner and asking Christ to save you by faith. So if that's the condition of your heart and you're ready to do that right now, it's a serious decision, but I'd invite you to pray something like this. In this quiet, wherever you are, pray something like this. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I admit that before you. But I believe that you died for me and I believe that you rose again. I put all of my faith and all of my trust in you and you alone. Jesus, please save me. If you prayed something like that, if you made certain this morning, would you just slip up your hand and put it down with no one looking, heads bowed, eyes closed, you say, today I made sure. Just slip up a hand, put it down. If you're watching on the live stream today, just send us a message, a private message. We won't, won't make it public, but I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray for you. Just let us know, say, yes, today I trusted Christ as my Savior. Well, now in these next few minutes, let's just have a quiet time for each of us to examine our hearts as Christians, to look inside, to speak to our souls, and call ourselves to bless the Lord with all that is within us. Let's, let's pray together. And when it's after just a, a minute or two of prayer, Aaron will lead us together. God, we thank you so much for this message that we heard this morning. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and all the things Lord, the salvation that you've given us through him, Lord, for all the blessings that you've given us, I pray that you would help us to bless your name. God, that we'd be thankful each and every day for not just the sacrifice and the salvation, but Lord, for the many blessings that you've given us, Lord, whether financially or our family, Lord, or the freedoms that we have. I pray that we'd lift your name. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.